A 2-2 to tell me from Blackburn. A swing and a high fly ball. Deep center field. Running back Gomez. He's at the track. He's at the wall. Gone. Tommy lights it up. Sox lead 1-0. He's hit his 34. Straight away center. What you heard to start our show today was Ed Farmer's call of Jim Tomey's homer in game 163 in 2008, affectionately known to White Sox fans as the blackout game. Tomey hit it off of Nick Blackburn and made it 1-0 White Sox in the seventh inning, and that was the only run that was scored that game. The White Sox would win the division. They would eventually lose to the Tampa Bay Rays in the divisional round in 2008. But why, as we open up this edition of MLB Morning Coffee, do we start with that today? And this episode's going to be a lot different than really any other episode that we've ever done here on this show. This is a memoriam to Ed Farmer, the longtime White Sox radio voice, analyst, and then eventually play-by-play man, who died on Wednesday due to complications from polycystic kidney disease, which is the number one genetically transmitted disease in the world. Why I decided to do this episode today is because, and I didn't realize it until yesterday, is that Ed Farmer meant more to me than I ever actually realized. For those of you that are tuning into this show for the first time, I spent five years as a broadcaster in minor league baseball. And prior to that, while I was in school at Northwestern University in Chicago, I learned the craft of broadcasting there. The first time I ever touched a microphone was my senior year in high school when I took on an internship at the Marin Independent Journal, our local school paper. I did a couple of interviews, and I ended up getting the itch for what I thought might be a chance at a hobby that eventually turned into a desire to make this a career. My dad is from Chicago, and he grew up a White Sox fan, and he taught me to be a White Sox fan, but living in California, I didn't have a whole lot of opportunities to watch White Sox games. And really, when I first caught the White Sox bug was in 2004 when I discovered that the WGN Superstation would air White Sox games most Saturdays. Now, that was mainly a Chicago Cubs station, but every Saturday afternoon, there seemed to be a White Sox game on there. And because of that, I fell in love with Ken the Hawk Harrelson, the TV play-by-play voice of the White Sox, all the way until 2018. Now, Hawk had his unique style. Hawk was very energetic. He had his, you can put it on the board, yes call. And Hawk, as I then came to realize over the years, was a little bit too much of a homer to idolize. Although I fell in love with his energy at the time. I thought that being Hawk Harrelson would be one of the coolest things in the entire world because he got so amped, and every time he'd call a homer and the fireworks would go off at U.S. Cellular Field, I'm like, this is such a cool job that this guy gets to do. Like, listening to Hawk Harrelson call home runs and strikeouts just absolutely jazzed me up. Now, in 2005, when the White Sox won the World Series, I was 13 years old, and Hawk was my main avenue to White Sox baseball. What I didn't know is that Ed Farmer had been a big avenue to White Sox baseball on the radio since 1992. And when I got to college in 2011, Ed Farmer was the radio play-by-play voice of the White Sox. And in my dorm room, I didn't have local cable. So I started listening to White Sox games on the radio, and that's where I was first introduced to Ed Farmer. Now, I had known Darren Jackson from his time as Hawks partner on TV, At that time, DJ had already transitioned into being the radio analyst on White Sox radio broadcasts. And by the time that I was able to get my car out to campus in 2013, 
I was driving around, I was going to White Sox games, and I would be hearing White Sox games on the radio wherever I went, whether it be to a family's house, to the grocery store, if I was actually driving somewhere in particular, I'd have the White Sox on. And then I ended up moving to Iowa for my first job in professional baseball, and whenever I'd be driving around or be on a long trip from Chicago out to Clinton, Iowa, most of the time I would have 670 to score on if it was at night. I would be listening to Ed Farmer and Darren Jackson call White Sox baseball. That was the most listened-to program of anything that I listened to during my four years in college. Now, Farmio was not exactly a guy that was lovable as a play-by-play guy, but Farmer had such a great knack for telling stories. You could tell that Ed Farmer loved baseball and that he loved Chicago. And I didn't realize it until today. Ed Farmer's home run call, he would say, light it up after somebody hit a home run. And what he basically means is, is to light up the exploding scoreboard. So for those of you that don't know, U.S. Sailor Field and the prior White Sox ballpark, the legendary old Comiskey Park, had an exploding scoreboard. So there were pinwheels on the scoreboard out in center field. And if the White Sox would hit a home run, they would shoot off fireworks. And there were little slots on the back side of the scoreboard that they would shoot the fireworks off through. And that was the original invention of former White Sox owner Bill Veck, known as one of the zaniest owners in all of professional sports. So the exploding scoreboard was the celebration for hitting a White Sox homer. So Ed Farmer's call turned into light it up, meaning that you light up the scoreboard, that means that there was a home run. And I was listening back to some broadcast tapes from my various stops in the minor leagues, And I didn't realize this, that for a period of time, I was using Light It Up as a home run call. Every time that somebody would hit a big home run, or what I would consider a boomer, I would say, Light It Up, Lumber Kings lead 4-2, or something along those lines. And I didn't realize that I had taken that from Ed Farmer. And so another thing that I'd like to bring up is that people ask me, well, what's a good inning for a starting pitcher? You know, how many pitches should a pitcher end up throwing in an inning to consider it a good inning? And I remember that Ed Farmer had said that a great starting pitcher should average 12.5 pitches an inning. An okay starter averages 15 pitches an inning. That's how you end up getting to 75 pitches over five innings. You throw 15 pitches an inning. A great starting pitcher throwing 12.5 pitches an inning, if you turn that into a complete game nine innings, that equates to 112 and a half pitches. So if you throw a complete game at that rate, 112 and a half pitches, so let's just say 113 for the purposes of rounding up, that's a good outing. That's an efficient outing. If you're facing, let's just say, three batters an inning, if you go one, two, three, you're facing maximum four pitches a batter. If you're facing four batters in an inning, then it's three pitches a batter, which means you're getting ground ball outs, you're getting ahead in the count, and you're throwing strikes. And that's the thing that meant so much to Farmio. As a pitcher, Ed Farmer valued what it took to be a great pitcher. That 12.5 pitches line, I have used to at least 25 different people. And I didn't realize that until today, I took that because of something I heard Ed Farmer say. Ed Farmer taught me so much about the game of baseball, about how you're supposed to work the corners, about how you sequence during an at-bat. And I hear all these things from various coaches that I've had while working in minor league baseball, 
But I remember and I reminisce on a lot of those broadcasts, and I say that was Ed Farmer that did that. And while Ed Farmer, like I said, not the greatest of play-by-play guys because he wasn't trained in that field, he was a great storyteller. He was somebody that loved the game of baseball and wanted to do it proud. But most importantly, he wanted to do Chicago proud. One of the most unique things about Ed Farmer is that he is a son of Chicago. He was born in Evergreen Park and grew up on the southwest side at 79th and Francisco. He got a scholarship to go to St. Rita Catholic High School, one of the best Catholic high schools in all of Chicagoland. And it was from there that he turned himself into one of the best pitchers in the state. And Farmer had always said he wanted to be known as the best guy in his neighborhood. He wanted to be known as the best baseball player in the city of Chicago. He didn't want to be known as the guy that ended up making the 1980 All-Star Game as the White Sox closer. He wanted to be the guy that was the best pitcher in Chicago. Ed Farmer's professional career began in 1967 when he was taken straight out of St. Rita High School in the fifth round by the Cleveland Indians. He made his big league debut with the Indians in 1971 and pitched with them until 1973 when he was traded to the Detroit Tigers. In 1974, he was with the Phillies. He had a bad year and was out of the majors in 75 and 76. He had his probably best season in the bigs in 1979, split between the Rangers and his hometown Chicago White Sox. In that season, Farmio in total had a 2.99 ERA over 53 games. He had 14 saves, all of them with the White Sox. He pitched 42 of his 53 appearances that year with the White Sox. Only 11 of them came with the Rangers. And then the next year, his lone all-star appearance in 1980 in Chicago, he set a club record 30 saves at the time, posting a 7-9 record with a 3.34 earned run average over 99 and two-thirds innings of work. Farmio's career ended after the 1983 season when he pitched five games with the Oakland Athletics. He only in total spent two and a half years with the White Sox, but eventually ended up in a special assistant to the general manager role where he actually did radio on Sundays. And then as the opportunity presented itself, Farmer became the lead radio analyst in 1992, served as that until 2006 when he transitioned to being the play-by-play guy after John Rooney left for the St. Louis Cardinals. The thing that stuck out to so many people about Ed Farmer is that he knew everybody. He was always willing to stop and say hello to anybody that approached him. He was always willing to lend a hand where it was needed, and I think that Farmer's compassion came from his genetically transmitted disease, the polycystic kidney disease, which he had to have a kidney transplant Thanks to his brother, who was a perfect match, Farmer's brother saved his life by giving him a kidney. And his mother died at age 37 because of the disease. So Farmer knew that it was going to be a problem later in life, and if it was not for the kidney that his brother donated to him, Farmer may have been gone way earlier. But Farmer had to work hard to keep himself in as good a health as possible to broadcast White Sox games, and he just fell into poor health this offseason, and that unfortunately led to his passing. And I was listening to Chicago sports radio all day. I was listening to guys like Connor McKnight, who did White Sox pre and post from 2016 to 2018, 
and Chris Ranji, who was the White Sox pre and post from 2006 until 2015. Guys just telling story after story about Ed Farmer. And one of the best stories that I actually heard, and this is courtesy of the Mully and Haw show in Chicago on Sports Radio 670 The Score, was program director Mitch Rosen giving an Ed Farmer story about his mom taking him and his brother when they were teenagers to see Yankee Stadium for the first time. Now, the story doesn't start off so great, but the end of it is pretty darn fitting for the guy that Ed Farmer was. When Ed was 13 or 14 years old, he and his brothers, their goal was to go see Yankee Stadium. For some reason, they wanted to see Yankee Stadium and where Mickey Mantle played and Joe DiMaggio. So their mother saved up money. Ed did not come from a lot of money. So he told me this story that saved a lot of money and his mother took uh, he and his two brothers to Yankee Stadium. The Yankees were out of town, so they go up to the gate, and there was a security guard there. And she said, I'm here from Chicago, my two sons. All they want to do is go inside Yankee Stadium. They just want to see it. And the security guard was a real jerk, and he said, no, ma'am, you know, get lost. You're, you're not coming in here. And Ed always remembered the security guard was missing a thumb. Somehow, some way, the security guard did not have a thumb. All right, so now fast forward, Ed was 13 or 14, whatever age when he made it to Major League Baseball, 23, 25 years old. Do you guys remember when they used to pull pitchers in from the bullpen, they used to get in like in a golf cart with a bubble yes. that looked like a baseball. Yeah. <laughs> so the guy that picks Ed up in the bullpen for his first time at Yankee Stadium to come in relief, I don't know what team he was pitching for, it's the same blank blank that told his mother. How does Ed know that? He was missing a thumb. So Ed's driving in this cart with this guy, and he says, you son of a blank, you're the one that didn't let my mother and myself and my brothers in. Now I'm blank and pitching in Yankee Stadium. You can go blank yourself. Oh, my goodness. That story is absolute gold. The fact that he actually gets to have revenge on that security guard for not letting them into Yankee Stadium. I mean, that is just who Ed Farmer was. He was genuine to the bone, and he told it like he saw it. He wouldn't BS you. He would always tell you the truth, and that's what came across in his broadcasts. I mean, Ed Farmer was so articulate in terms of how he described a game and how he could relate what was going on on the field to the listener. He made it so that we could be there, so that we could understand it through the player's eyes. And I know there are a lot of people that say, well, the best play-by-play guys are the ones that are trained in the art of broadcasting. And you know what? I used to believe that too. And in some respects, I still do. But after listening to Ed Farmer for as long as I did, and I guess I just didn't appreciate it as much at the time, but I appreciate it so much more now because the art of telling a great story not only is being able to weave a story in and out, but understanding the baseball context of what that story is. And I feel so much smarter as a baseball guy because of having listened to Ed Farmer, because of understanding the intricacies of the game. Like, I remember a story where he said he was pitching against Dick Allen when he was actually pitching for the Indians against the White Sox. And he said that Dick Allen told him he was going to break one of the seats in the right field bleachers with the next ball he hit, and sure enough, he did. Like, that's the type of stuff where you have to be the ultimate baseball aficionado to really get it, to really appreciate that. And maybe if you're not the ultimate baseball aficionado, that if you 
find a way to become that, or you find a way to appreciate the game in a different way than you did before, that you can see that through those eyes and say, all right, I understand why this was such a big deal. I understand why it was such a big deal for Dick Allen to call his shot to write about breaking a bleacher seat in the old Comiskey Park. And the way that Ed Farmer's voice came across, it was somewhat comatose, but it came across in a way that told you that he was genuine. And there was a picture, actually, and I retweeted it on my Twitter timeline, that Chris Ranji actually tweeted out earlier today. It was of Ed Farmer laughing when the White Sox went down and played the Cardinals in 2018 at Bush Stadium. Now, Chris Ranji, who was the pre- and post-game host for the White Sox that worked with Farmer for 10 years, moved on to go host a show in St. Louis. And that was when he had a chance to go visit Farmer and Darren Jackson up in the booth in St. Louis. And he took that picture of Farmer, and he looked just so genuinely happy. And you saw the smile on his face and the laughter. And when you'd listen to White Sox broadcast, you could tell how much he and DJ really liked each other and how much they liked being at the ballpark. And I'd still say one of my biggest regrets is never actually meeting Ed Farmer. And I had a chance to once... I was at a White Sox game my sophomore year of college, and this is after I had first been introduced to Ed Farmer. Now, before I ever moved to the Chicagoland area for college, I had never listened to a White Sox game on the radio. My only exposure was Hawk Harrelson on WGN-TV, and I would watch his highlight clips on WhiteSox.com if I couldn't actually catch a game because MLB.com used to post these little vignettes of clips from highlights of those games. I think they still do. I just don't watch them as religiously as 13-year-old Greg did. And I was walking past the press level. It was a rain delay of, I think it was a White Sox-Indians game. And so the 300 level at White Sox Park is where the press level is as well. And so you can go up from your seats into this covered concourse, and you can walk literally inside from foul pole to foul pole. And behind home plate... The press box door is open, and it leads down into this giant other area of room. So it's somewhat situated below the actual 300 level. And Farmio was hanging by the door talking to a couple of people, and then they left, and he was just grazing around for a moment. And I walked right by him, and I didn't say hello. I knew who he was. Like, I knew that was Ed Farmer, and for some reason, I just didn't stop and say hello. And I'm sure that I would have engaged myself in a conversation if I did say hello, but granted, I'm a 19-year-old sophomore in college. Like, I didn't want to go up to a big league broadcaster and bother him. Like, I felt like the broadcast booth was his space, and, you know, he didn't want to necessarily talk to some random 19-year-old that somehow happened to get a $50 ticket for 20 bucks on StubHub for that night because it was a Monday night in April, and the ballpark was maybe half full at the best. But I had that opportunity, and I let it go by. And I just... I'm replaying all of those moments from college, listening to White Sox games on the radio and driving back from the ballpark. I got a partial season ticket plan my junior and senior year of college, and I'd be driving back from the ballpark. I'd get out of the ballpark right as the game ends and hearing highlights from Farmio and DJ and Ranji doing the postgame show. And I just felt comfortable. I felt at home. I felt like I was immersed in baseball. 
And sometimes you don't feel that with certain broadcasters. Even if their form and the way that they call the game is a little bit more delectable than what Ed Farmer did, you felt immersed in the game of baseball with Ed Farmer. You just did. He made you feel that way because you knew how genuinely important it was for him to not just call a great game, but to call the game right. To give the game and its intricacies the respect that it deserved. And I'll say this, that is what Ed Farmer did maybe as good as anybody that has ever put on a headset in a Major League ballpark. But I think the thing that leaves the biggest impact on me is his love of Chicago. You know, the broadcasting industry is one where you rarely ever get to work where you're from. And granted, Ed Farmer was a former player and became a broadcaster by virtue of being a special assistant to the GM that got Sundays on radio. But Ed Farmer was from Chicago. He was from the southwest side, 79th and Francisco. There's a great tribute on the White Sox Twitter from Sox TV about Ed Farmer's upbringing and why he wanted to become a baseball player and how much the city of Chicago meant to him. And there was a great story that Connor McKnight of the Bernstein and McKnight Show on 670 The Score told earlier today about Rainbow Cone, which is an ice cream shop on the southwest side of Chicago. And I'll actually let McKnight tell the story because we do have the audio. So here is the story about Ed Farmer, Connor McKnight, and the Rainbow Cone ice cream shop. I'm, I'm working the White Sox broadcast, and I'm a, I'm a bit of a, an ice cream guy, fanatic sort of thing. I mean, that's my dessert. I, I love it. I, I eat a ton of ice cream, and I had gone out at one bright sunny day at the ballpark and it was one of those i think it was the summer of 16 and it, it was and it's just hot i mean it's just hot for a couple of weeks and i go out to center field and i grab one of the giant root beer floats that's at guaranteed rate field mm-hmm. and i'm coming back up you know before i do my little hit with the guys in the sixth inning or something and i had crushed this giant root beer float before i even got there and i walked in i said hey i'm ready i'm gonna do this thing and, and ed looks at me and goes did you have that entire thing before you got back up here? And I go, well, yeah, it's not that big. It's no big deal. And he was just horrified by this. Absolutely just horrified by how quickly Why? I had taken this thing down. Because <laughs> it was a lot. I mean, he was, like, worried for my health. He's like, that's a lot of sugar. you got to watch out for things like that. And he's, you know, DJ's bringing him back from break and doing the game. And Ed's telling me i got to watch the sugar and just be real careful about this stuff. And I go, okay, I, I will. I promise. So the next day... I'm in, I'm in their booth, and Ed goes, so you're an ice cream guy, huh? And I go, yeah, yeah, I am. And he goes, have you had rainbow cone? And oh. I, said, I said, no, I've, I've actually never had rainbow cone. I've heard of it. And, you know, you think Ed was horrified about the, the ice cream, the root beer float that I had taken down. He was mortified that I had never had rainbow cone. So you've never been down Western the 92nd? You've never been, you've never had rainbow cone. No, I haven't ever. And he said, I'm bringing rainbow cone tomorrow. I'm bringing rainbow cone. You're going to get some. And I'm like, Ed, it's, it's 150 degrees out today. It's going to be 160 tomorrow. How are you going to bring rainbow cone from Western and 92nd to the ballpark? Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. I'll get you. I'll get, we'll get rainbow cone. I'm like, okay. So I'd kind of <laughs> forgotten about it. The game goes by. Next day, in his booth, he's got a giant freezer bag with like 30 cones from Rainbow Cone at Western and 92nd brought up to the booth that he went to go get at the store. And I'm like, Red, Ed, what are you, how did you do this? 
And he goes, well, I just, I went into the store. I went into the rainbow cone. They know me there. I'm like, what do you mean they know you there? So I walked in. I said, are you Eddie Farmer? I said, well, yes, I am. Because literally everyone knew him in the neighborhood. It's going back to what he's talking about in the video. It's going back to how you mentioned it. He was from there. He wanted to be the best in that neighborhood, the best ball player there. And he was just so proud of being from there. He was so proud of other people from there. So he goes into rainbow cone. He's Eddie <laughs> Farmer. They ask him what he's doing. He's like, well, I'm trying to get, you know, at whatever it is, Rainbow Cone up to the ballpark. And they're like, wow, you're going to need one of our bat. They gave him one of the freezer bags that they used to haul stuff back and forth. They gave one to Ed Farmer just so he could drag Rainbow Cone up to the ballpark for somebody who hadn't had it because it was important to him that somebody else get something from his neighborhood. There is so much civic pride that comes across in that story. It was that important that somebody had something from Ed Farmer's neighborhood. That's why you loved Ed Farmer if you were a Chicagoan, because he was a true Chicagoan. He cared about every little neighborhood that had something important to it. And for him, Rainbow Cone was important because it was from his neighborhood. White Sox and Cubs fans, in my opinion, are different because you'll find Cubs fans all across the state of Illinois and outside of the state. For the most part, you find White Sox fans on the south side of Chicago, maybe a little bit in northwest Indiana, and maybe splintered across other areas of Illinois and other states. But the heart of White Sox fandom is on the south side of Chicago, and that's why Ed Farmer was the perfect embodiment of White Sox baseball. Not only did he play for the White Sox, he was from the south side of Chicago. He played just up the road from where he grew up. And that meant so much to him. It meant the world to him to be a part of the Chicago White Sox because it was that team, if you go and you watch that tribute video that the White Sox put on their Twitter account, it meant more to him to be a part of the south side of Chicago and be a part of the White Sox because of what they meant to their community than anything else. You know, the differences between Hawk Harrelson and Ed Farmer, Hawk Harrelson bled White Sox baseball, but he was not from Chicago. He was of everywhere else. He was of the Indians and the Red Sox and Savannah, Georgia. Ed Farmer was of Chicago, born and bred on the south side, went to St. Rita High School, lifelong Notre Dame football fan. And people told countless Notre Dame football stories about Ed Farmer today. Apparently he was friends with Charlie Weiss, which seems like such a random friendship given the fact that Weiss is a football coach and Farmio was a baseball guy. The last thing that I want to put out there is something that I saw on Facebook from a guy named Matt Rodewald, who is a fill-in host at 670 The Score. He's now a TV anchor in Phoenix, but he was the board op and the producer for White Sox radio broadcasts on ESPN 1000 in 2005 when the White Sox were on that station and during their World Series run. And this had to do with probably his most famous call. Now, back in 2005, Farmer was the lead analyst, but he got one inning of play-by-play alongside the great John Rooney. And before we give you the story from Rotowald, we want to play you that famous call of Paul Canerco in Game 2 of the 2005 World Series. Here's Canerco on the pitch to PK. Swing it along with a left. It's going to go. It's a slam. Sox lead. 6-4. Light it up. That audio courtesy of ESPN 1000 in Chicago. And now to the story behind that call from Matt Rodewald. He writes on Facebook, In the seventh inning of Game 2 of the 2005 World Series, 
Ed Farmer paused on the Chicago White Sox radio broadcast for a station ID on ESPN 1000. He did it more than once an hour. At odd times in the middle of an at-bat, always kept me on my toes, but he liked it. It was him playing announcer, and it wasn't a big deal. In the 10 seconds between me hitting the button on the board and him going back on the air, Paul Konerko took the first pitch and unloaded a grand slam. In 30 years, that ballpark has never been louder. Farmer missed the call. When I told him go, he launched into the home run call from scratch. Konerko was already 10 feet from teammates waiting for him at home plate on a rainy, dreary October night. But Farmer understood the magnitude of that home run. Here's Konerko in the pitch to PK, swinging a long one to left. It's going to go. It's a slam. Sox lead, 6-4. Light it up. He ended up saving the call of a lifetime. Only three people knew. Ed Farmer would tell you that he wasn't the best broadcaster. He was a baseball guy who happened to be on the radio. When you told him to stand by, his dry response was, we're sitting. He never took it too seriously until the moment called for it. That's what I enjoyed the most about Farmio. The Evergreen Park guy who fought through adversity his whole life managed to do it in his biggest broadcasting moment and saved it. Condolences to Southside fans everywhere today. And I think that that's a great way to put a bow on this episode. Ed Farmer was able to recreate a home run call that had happened seconds earlier because Station ID missed it. That was Ed Farmer. He understood the moment. He understood the magnitude of what the game meant. He was a baseball guy, like Rodewald says in that story. And I think the thing that sits the most with me is that Ed Farmer taught me more about the game of baseball than I ever realized he did. And I sit here today in appreciation of everything that I learned from Farmio, even though I didn't know it at the time. I know it's so much better now. I don't know if I'm ever going to broadcast minor league baseball again. I don't know what the next step in my career is going to be. But in the years that I did get to do it professionally, Ed Farmer was a huge part of it, even if I didn't know it at the time. Thanks for listening to this tribute to Ed Farmer here on MLB Morning Coffee. And before you go to bed tonight, I encourage you to do one thing. Light a candle in tribute to Farmio, in tribute to his lighted-up call, because that is how many White Sox fans are paying tribute to a Southside legend by lighting it up for Ed Farmer. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. We'll catch you in the AM. But most importantly, rest in peace, Ed Farmer. Thank you for being the baseball inspiration that I didn't even know that I had.